It's your Thursday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day. Only show of the day. That's a departure from the last three days, the first three days of the week where we had special episodes on the Twins every night. Um, they took care of business, though, Wednesday night, beating Toronto 2-0 to win that series 2-0. If you missed the special edition last night, um, took a bunch of fan reactions and um, a conversation with Lavelle E. Neal III and spun those into a nice post-game podcast podcast, breaking down everything from game two, the biggest moments of that game, the pickoff, the the, the near the near hit and then the double play in the sixth inning, the curious decision by the Blue Jays to take out Jose Barrios in the fourth inning when he was cruising. All of those things analyzed with Lavelle E. Neal III on that podcast. So go give that a listen if you would. Um, was planning to, uh, I was going to be at Target Field tonight if there was a Game 3. There is not a Game 3, so we'll save our energy and other things for later. Phil Miller going to join me on tomorrow's show to, uh, to to advance Twins versus Astros. That series starting Saturday. Um, but for now, we've got, uh, we've got plenty of Twin stuff still on this show, but Chip Scoggins will also join me here in just a little bit to talk Vikings and Gophers. Oh, yeah, two other big games this weekend. This is going to be a jam-packed sports weekend all of a sudden. We knew, we knew about the Vikings playing the Chiefs. We knew about the Gophers playing Michigan. We didn't know if the Twins would still be playing this weekend when the week started. We do now. Um, Twins-Astros on Saturday and Sunday. It, it, we've, it, feels, it feels like it's been a while since we've had a sports weekend like this, and it feels good, but it also feels very busy. Chip and I will talk about the football portion of that in just a little bit. First, though, what did I miss? I want to circle back on a couple things from that Twins game and spin it ahead to the Astros series here. Um, let's dissect that series from the standpoint of... I want to, I'm going to look at three kind of unsung heroes or moments from that game and those games, the two games that the Twins won against Toronto, 3-1 to one on Tuesday, which, of course, broke that 18-game losing streak and... Uh, Wednesday, which won the series for them. Now they have a winning streak, a two-game winning streak in the postseason. All four um, teams, by the way, American League and National Team, uh, National League, all four, all four series in the wild card decided in two games. All four of them sweeps. So all four of the matchups in the next round are set. That's of course Twins, Astros, and Texas against Baltimore. Texas routed um, Tampa Bay in two games. That was kind of a surprise to me in the wild card round. Texas, Baltimore, the other American League series, Philadelphia and Atlanta, and then Arizona and the Dodgers are the other two series. All four of those series will begin on Saturday, but we don't know yet what time all the games will be. So we'll keep an eye on that as the days and the weeks go on. Um, probably just days. I'll probably know that pretty soon, maybe even hours. But um, let's get to some of those unsung heroes from the round ahead, and I'm going to look uh, look ahead to the Houston series. Three unsung heroes from the series. I want to start number one, Griffin Jacks. He had, I would say, a, a good year in the Twins bullpen this year, but was a bit uneven. He had, you know, he he pitched in a lot of high leverage situations um and took a lot of losses. 10 losses this season, gave up some big hits in some big spots, but he came through in this series both games asked to pitch the 8th inning 
preserving a two-run lead. And in both cases, he was facing the three, four, five hitters in Toronto's lineup. And in both cases, I'm wondering, is this the right thing, especially Tuesday and especially when he gave up a rocket double to Vlad Guerrero Jr. Uh, right away in Tuesday's game. I'm thinking Tuesday, you've got everybody rested and healthy. Is this a spot to use John Duran more than more than just an inning? Things like that. But Tuesday, he pitched around that leadoff double, got the rest of the inning, and looked really good doing it. Didn't even give up the run. And on Wednesday, pitches a clean inning. Uh, the inning ends with a you know slow roller where he collides with the runner, but he, he pitches an effective inning. He fell behind 3-0 to Guerrero, but came back to get him on a long fly ball to center field. And then he gets Bichette, gets, uh, gets Biggio, and next thing you know, the inning is over. So Griffin Jacks getting through the eighth inning. And we talk about the closer. We talk about other guys in the, in the potential, um, you know, in the bullpen who all more or less did their jobs. I mean, obviously, they didn't give up a single run, or at least not uh, none of their own charged runs. So um, the, the fact that they got through that in that in that kind of shape, uh, we expect it out of some of those guys. And I think you expect it to a degree out of Griffin Jacks, but I thought he was exceptional in this series. And I had, I had my doubts. I had my skepticism because of some of the way things have gone for him this season. But he was excellent and probably faced the toughest task of, uh, of any of those late-inning relievers, even Duran, because he had to pitch to the heart of the order in both of those games and got through it in great shape. Number two unsung hero, Max Kepler. We all have debated, talked about um, the decision in Wednesday's game to pull Jose Barrios, right? Barrios is cruising through the first three innings. He would give him a few hits, but relatively harmless, got out of it. Walks Royce Lewis to start the fourth and gets the hook. Um, looked like the Blue Jays and manager John Schneider were looking for any opportunity to take him out. They had this kind of preordained plan to bring in a lefty, Jose Kikuchi. And so they do. And next batter up is Max Kepler, a lefty-lefty matchup. The Blue Jays like the idea of either forcing the Twins to make some early decisions on are they going to pinch hit, are they not going to pinch hit, or you know suffer the consequences of, of having their lefties bat against a tough lefty. Well, Kepler stays in the game and is the key to that entire inning because he gets an infield single, hard hit, ground ball into the hole um, on the right side, um, second baseman for the Blue Jays gets a glove on it, knocks it down, but Kepler hustling down the line beats the throw by half a step, if that, and he's on now. First and second, nobody out instead of runner on second, one out. So he is the key to that inning to me. Him getting a hit off of the lefty that Toronto brought in, Kikuchi, that keys the whole inning because now the Twins can feel like, okay, we can play some of these matchup games. They bring in Solano to pinch hit for Kirloff. Solano draws a walk. Now it's bases loaded, nobody out. Now it's Correa. Kikuchi has to stay in because of the three-batter rule. Correa gets the base hit up the middle that gives them the one nothing lead. They get another one on a double play. Next thing you know, it's 2 nothing, and they are on their way. That ends up being the final score. That move is debated, but if if he gets Kepler, who you know has not had a great career against lefties, he's okay, but that's not his strength. If they get Kepler there, 
Someone with just a 217 career batting average and 649 OPS against lefties compared to a 790 OPS against righties. If they get Kepler there, we might still be debating that decision, but it might have been the right one because they probably get through that inning in okay shape, maybe not even giving up a run. And guess the Twins didn't get anything the rest of the way. So Kepler is the key to that inning to me, and that is why he is unsung hero number two. Unsung hero number three, Michael A. Taylor. Uh, he didn't make anything spectacular on Wednesday, made two really good catches on Tuesday, and more than anything, He's just kind of an unsung hero of the entire season, doing some of the same things in this game, in this series that he's done all year, being a reasonable clone of Byron Buxton for far less money and with far more durability. I don't like to think about where this team would be without his defense, without some of his power. He hit over 20 home runs in center field this season because that has been a huge boon to have a guy out there where you know you have elite level center field defense and a guy who's not just an automatic out to get that near the start of the season and to have him not only do it all year but come through with those two great catches Tuesday and more steady play again on Wednesday just knowing he's out there makes your entire outfield defense feel better means you didn't have to push Buxton rush Buxton depend on Buxton this year it wasn't as big of a deal that he was injured and couldn't play center field this year so unsung hero number three Michael A. Taylor there's a bunch of them up and down the lineup and there's of course the obvious heroes Royce Lewis in game one Carlos Correa throughout the series the starting pitching Duran everybody who had a big play in this series but uh but but the unsung heroes I feel like Jax and Kepler in particular and Taylor as well those are the guys that made the little plays that made this happen and got the twins to the next round now speaking of the next round and like I said there'll be a lot more on this on Friday show with Phil Miller we'll get into the Houston matchup even more in depth but uh, if we're talking about the Houston series some things that are different in this series number one the twins are underdogs in this series they were slight favorites to beat the Blue Jays and it showed why when they played them they are underdogs against Houston if you look at the betting odds the implied odds give the twins about a 40 percent chance to win the series which is still Definitely in the ballpark, 40% is, you know, means that they would be expected to win two out of every five games. Now, that's a problem if you're trying to win the series because two out of every five games means you're going to lose a five game series, three to two. But it means that there is, you know, if there is a toss up game somewhere in there that is expected to go Houston's way, the Twins need to win that one instead. Maybe that's game one. I don't know, because game one feels like it's going to be pretty lopsided in Houston's favor, at least on paper, because we expect Justin Verlander to be the game one starter. He has owned the Twins over the years. Now, of course, this is a different the different Twins team um, in, a, in a different Justin Verlander. He's getting older, but he's still very good. He's been very effective, especially down the stretch, coming back from injury. Traded to Houston from the Mets after the Mets fell apart earlier this year. He will be a tough matchup, and the Twins will not be able to throw one of their best pitchers at it because both Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray will need rest. Lopez and Gray going Tuesday and Wednesday in this series. By the time Saturday rolls around, Lopez would only be on three days rest, and Sonny Gray, of course, of course, only on two days rest. So you would imagine it'll either be Bailey Ober or Joe Ryan in Game 1 against Justin Verlander. That is not a pitching matchup that favors the Twins. 
The rest of the series, I can see the Twins matching up pretty well because you can throw Pablo Lopez in Game 2 on his regular rest. You can throw Sonny Gray in Game 3 after after the break for travel on five days rest. You would throw either Gray or Ober, I would imagine, whichever one didn't start in uh, in Game 1, probably gets Game 4, assuming you are committed to Kenta Maeda in the bullpen. And then if Game 5 is necessary, you could go back to Lopez again on his regular four days rest because you would have had those two off day travel days in between and he would be back to his regular rest so you've got good matchups up and down but game one is going to be tough that to me is where you could either say hey it's okay if you go down 1-0 because you've got good matchups but in a short series a five game series every game counts so if you can steal a game somewhere in there you got to win at least one of those first two in Houston. You like your chances better in game two with Lopez on the mound, uh, probably. But uh, you, you still have a chance in that, uh, in that first game, and we'd see how that would go. Now, the other thing that concerns me about this is even though the Twins went 4-2 and two against Houston this season, they did not face any of the three first three likely starting pitchers that Houston will throw at them in this series. Verlander, uh, Framber Valdez, and Christian Javier. None of those guys pitched against the Twins in any of those six games. Those figured to be a tall order for the Twins, but Twins have good pitching too. Twins have shown that they can pitch in this postseason a difference from past years, so that is something to watch as well. And of course, Houston has that postseason experience factor Carlos Correa keeps talking about the Twins and comparing him to the 2015 Astros as kind of an up-and-comer. Kind of wish he'd stop doing that because that Astros team lost in the division series three games to two, but I get it. I get that this is a building process that even if the Twins don't win this series, there are things they can take out of it, that they've already accomplished something this season that they had not done in quite some time winning a playoff game, winning a playoff series for the first time since 2002. But now I think it's time to get greedy. This is a good team. This is a team built for the postseason. Anything can happen right now, and we will see if it happens starting Saturday in Houston. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's talk a little football with Chip Scoggins, um, columnist from the Star Tribune. We might sneak in a little Twins, too, and maybe some Wolves, because... Twins are foremost in everybody's mind. I just worry about these games happen so fast. They're every day. I don't want to talk about something that in the next morning and people are like, why, why are you talking about that? This, this and that happened. Um, <laughs> the thing we, the thing we know chip is Gophers won't play Michigan until Saturday. The, the Vikings won't play the chiefs until Sunday. Um, I want to start with the Gophers because as of right now, the last time I looked 19 point home underdogs, against a very good, obviously very good Michigan team. Let, let's not let, let's start there. This is not just an average year for Michigan, but it, it kind of struck me to be that big of an underdog at home tells me a lot about Michigan, but it tells me something about the Gophers right now too, doesn't it? Well, for sure. I mean, it tells you that uh, they lost to Northwestern and that they didn't look particularly dominant um, against Louisiana last week. I think it's just... Uh, I think that's a sign of yes, how good Michigan is, but also uh, 
the people that set those lines are just not really sure like what the gophers are yet. And I think that's probably an accurate assessment. Is that honestly, is it disappointing that that's, that that's where we are in, in year seven of, of PJ Fleck, or do we just have to understand that there's ebbs and flows in the program you're, you're doing, you got a new quarterback, things like that. How do you, how do you kind of assess where they are right now in relation to where you might want them to be? Yeah. Well, the Northwestern, debacle was absolutely a disappointment yeah of um, course. Per- particularly when you look at how mediocre at best the big 10 west is yes again. i mean it is it is it is not very good no um there's not a there's not a team in there that is that you would even say you know a, a strong team at this point so um you wonder if that if that loss is going to come back to to haunt the the gophers again and and um, I think the thing for me is I, I sort of expected the offense might be a little stops and starts because anytime you have a first time, first year starting quarterback, even though Kelly McManus started some last year, but this is his first full time as the guy, it's not all going to be smooth, right? There's going to be some growing pains that's sort of be expected. Um, the defense and the number of big plays that they have given up, um, is uncharacteristic of a Joe Rossi defense. We just haven't right. seen it. Um, again, it you know against Louisiana, way too many uh, missed assignments, guys being in the wrong spot, missed tackles, big plays. Um, they, now they cleaned it up in the second half and and um, had a really nice second half against that that offense. But it's been a, a defense that uh, mistakes that we haven't seen under Rossi in the last few years. So that's you know that's been a problem. Um, and then just get the consistency. They just haven't really played a clean game. Um, and so that's what you're waiting to see from this group. And, yes, they have some, you know, P.J. reminds us they have young players at key position, running back particularly, but um, they also have some veterans uh, that haven't played particularly well or consistently. Um, and so that's that to me is something that's kind of eye-opening. Um, you're sort of waiting for them to put it all together and have a complete game on, on both sides of the ball. And special teams have been a, a disaster too, other than the kicker. Other than the kicker, yeah. I mean, it's you look at it and you're like, well, they've, they've probably played the easiest part of their schedule, North Carolina notwithstanding. I mean, they've, they've played their non-conference games. They've played Nebraska and Northwestern. Now you're staring at Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa still. I mean, Iowa is kind of what it is, but their defense is still good. I mean, what's the, as we're kind of resetting expectations or kind of imagining where this season goes, what, I mean, what what's the forecast now? I mean, do you like them in any of those tough games at this point? I mean, obviously Michigan and Ohio State are different, but like even the rivalry games? Well, that's it. Yeah. Michigan and Ohio State, those are, you know, you're talking about two of the best teams in, yes. in college football and, and Michigan, I think, might be the most complete. Um, but the other ones, again, the West, Iowa just lost their starting quarterback for the year. You know, he, he's out, Magmar. Um And so they haven't looked good and their offense is, you know, struggling even with that quarterback. And so um, they're not going to be able to score many points. Their defense, yes, is good. Their special teams are terrific. Um, but they're an average ball club. Wisconsin, they've had, you know, their struggles early on. They're incorporating a new quarterback. Um, they play Iowa and Wisconsin play next weekend. Um, so I would think the winner of that game probably has a leg up. Um, but when you look at the Gophers, it's like, 
if you take Michigan and Ohio State out, Illinois is not what we thought they were going to be. They've been disappointing. Purdue's not very good. I mean, the remaining schedule if you if, of the West teams are just not – they're not tough games. They're not uh, ones where you look at there and say, well, they have no chance against that. That's not the case at all. So that's where I think the you know, if they can pull themselves together and have a complete game, um, you know, they should match up against any of the teams in the West um, because there's just not a great team in the West right now. And that's where the Northwestern loss really hurts because you let, you know, well, now if you put Michigan and Ohio State in the loss column, and again, those games still have to be played, but especially the Ohio State game on the road, you just imagine that at the very bare minimum, there's going to be three Big Ten losses. And last year, notwithstanding, that's probably not going to be enough to win a Big Ten West. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, three three losses with this year. I you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, I Iowa. Let's see what happens now. They're down to their backup quarterback. Again, that's not a a uh, offense that scares you, anyways. Um, and so, but the Gophers have PJ Flex never beat uh, Kirk Ferentz. They have to play there, so you know that's that's a um, you know that's a hurdle they have to get over, but. Uh, the rest of the West, yeah, I mean that's that's why one really bad quarter against Northwestern, you wonder if it's if Gophers are going to look back and really regret that because that could be the deciding factor when you look at who wins the West. Now the difference between college football and the NFL is this: Gophers are an okay team, I think, not a great team, but they, they're building. Michigan is an elite team. Vikings are an okay team um, trying to work out some of the kinks. The Chiefs haven't been their best so far this year, but they are the defending Super Bowl champs. They are going to put it together, and they are you know one of the very best in the NFL. Gophers, 19-point underdogs against Michigan. Vikings, five-point underdogs against Kansas City. <laughs> that is the difference. That is the gap in the NFL versus the gap in college football. Yeah, and just because the NFL is so close. I mean, we see it all the time. Uh I don't know why people bet on the NFL because as, as soon as you think you think you know what's going to happen, um, you know a terrible team will rise up and play competitively for that day. I, I just think the margin for error is so small in the NFL that those games are all you know really close by and large and come down to it. So um, not saying the Vikings are you know are going to win Sunday, but um, you know. Being at home, that counts for something. That's a tough place to play. And I'm I'm curious. This is going to be a fascinating matchup to watch to see what Brian Flores does and how he chooses to defend Mahomes. Because we saw what he did against Justin Herbert a couple of weeks ago and he brought all kinds of blitzes and they got the ball out quick and that backfired. Um, hey, but, you know, I don't know if it backfired. Just Herbert was really good and they had a counterpunch for it and they got the ball out quick and it – neutralize the pass rush. And so um, I don't know. I'm curious to see how, what, what Flores comes up with to try to slow down Mahomes in, the, in that offense. What did you, what, if anything, do we learn from the Carolina game? Cause it was obviously it's a win. It's their first win of the year. Didn't feel like they looked very good doing it, especially on yeah. offense, but they also only ran like 43 plays. It was a weird game. You had the cousins pick six, the other turnover, um, the other interception where he gets his arm hit. 
it it was a it was a weird game. They still had a decent, you know, the yards per play was still decent. They ran the ball okay, but they only scored fourteen points on offense. And you don't get to play a rookie every week. I mean, I, I, if Brian Flores yeah. got to go against a rookie quarterback every week, I would like the Vikings' <laughs> chances quite a bit. But that's that was kind of feels like a one off, and we're still waiting to see what is this team. Yeah, I didn't learn anything new other than maybe Davenport can help him on defense. Yeah, you saw fair. him uh, show up. Um, Annette Harrison Smith, when deployed, like he should be, can can be still be an impact player. But that Carolina offense was so pedestrian and played it so safe with with Bryce Young. Um, it was like they had training wheels with him and just hoping he wouldn't make a mistake. That the game plan that they had, and so they're really bad. I mean, yes. you know, it felt like they were just waiting for the Vikings to make more mistakes, like they did in the first half, and, and hang on and try to win it that way. So. Did we learn anything? Not really, other than it was nice to see Davenport show up and play and, and be impactful and, and and then Harrison having one of the best games of his career, you know, um being real disruptive. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. I think we're still looking for looking for something more. I was this this surprised me, and I I brought this up the other day, but that the the offensive line that they kept the same five. I thought we'd see Changes at guard, especially with Dalton Reisner in and them not loving either one of their guards, but then they, they go with the same guys. Ingram, of course, is the kind of the, the perpetrator on that one interception, but otherwise they mm-hmm. play okay. I, I don't know where they're at with the line now. Yeah, I, I thought at halftime they would make a switch after I you know, assumption that was uh Ingram that had the uh, mistake that caused Yes. Cousins to get hit on the pop up interception. I thought they'd make a switch there and Riser come in. Um, the fact that they didn't, I, I can't imagine he doesn't know enough of the playbook to be able to do his responsibilities. Um, so I don't know what it's going to take. Um, you know, the, the this this coaching staff is showing a lot of faith and trust in these in this interior offensive line to to stay with it, even if they brought in Reisner. So I, I honestly don't know when they'll make a switch. I think Reisner got some reps, right? Last year, yeah. last week in practice. Yeah. He was a lot, of, to the lot game of first, first team, team reps. reps. So, yeah. Yeah. First team reps. So I, I don't know um, if they just didn't want to do it in the middle of the game um, or, or what, but um, I have to think at some point there's going to be a switch if, if the line doesn't, you know, if, if you keep seeing these kinds of mistakes. I would think so. Well, we'll see what happens in that game. Um, tests for both those teams this weekend. A couple more things, Chip. I'll let you go. Um, feels It feels weird to me that the Wolves are in Abu Dhabi right now. I get that they're like trying to grow the game and do this, but yeah. like to show up for media day, to have like a couple practices, and then to be gone for eight days right now feels weird to me. Yeah, it's like, hello, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, the season. It, I, don't, it's a hard, I mean, I understand. <laughs> You know, I guess I understand the, the the point behind it. You know, like you said, grow the game. But it, it is um, – and I, I don't know how much they would be in our conversation with the Twins playoff going Fair on enough, and yeah. Vikings and football still. So um, I don't know if it was – be a lot of conversation about the Wolves in town this week anyways. But from a from a beat writer's perspective, it's probably difficult because, you, you know, you you, uh, you have media day and then they, you don't see them again for – over a week um that's weird but um they're gonna be a really really interesting team yeah 
to watch this year to see how uh, if they can avoid injuries. And, you know, that's always the thing we keep coming back to, it seems like. But if they can avoid injuries and they stay intact, what does it look like? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. I don't think we know. And it in, in sounds like Finch from Media Day, I was just, I was over there and I asked him, like, what's the identity of this team in a best-case scenario? And he said it's defense first. And I think Chris Hine wrote about that for today's paper yeah. as well. Like, I, I agree with that. But it's also interesting because your two best players ostensibly are Cat and Ant. And Anthony Edwards has some defensive chops. But I would say both of those guys... Your both of your top two core players are offense first guys. So how does that mentality mesh with the idea that defense is your identity? Yeah, it's interesting, and maybe that's uh, just trying to incorporate that mindset as much as they're just going to be a lockdown. But it, maybe uh, like a mindset, and then, you know, when you look at it, like Ant when he wants to dig in and take the best player, he's going to do it, and he really commits himself. Obviously, we know Jay McDaniel's is really good. Rudy Gobert, we know he's really good defensively. So I don't think it's the worst uh, uh, thought process from Finch. Is like, you know what, let's let's start there. Let's build this identity from there because they know they can score, right? They know they have yeah. guys that are going to score. So I, I, it's probably the right approach. Um, but I, to me, it still comes down to how does how does Towns and, and Gobert play together, and how does those how do those two fit with? Ant taking on a different role because it needs to flow through him, right? It, he's the guy. I mean, he's their best player. He has to be the focal point of what they're doing, the starting point at least. Although at media day, he's trying to say, "Hey, I got Towns. Towns is still the guy." It's an interesting dynamic with those two that I don't. I don't think we've. I don't think we've seen this fully expressed yet. I think you're right that this year, you know, last year had so many fits and starts and the cat, the cat injury. This is the year. It's it's you know, and we all know the contract stuff that's coming to a head. How it's going to be hard to pay all these guys eventually because of you know supermax kicking in, Ant's contract kicking in. But it's it's proven time. They basically got like to the trade deadline or till the end of the year at the at the at the very most before they say this is working or this isn't working. Well, it is, and is is it working to the degree that you're willing to go into the tax, right? Um, because there is a lot of big contracts on that payroll and you better win big to justify keeping that core together and paying that that kind of money um you have to feel really good that that's leading to something to a big payoff because uh, otherwise the money's just hard to make work yeah it is it is well we'll see where they're headed we'll see where the wilds head i feel like we're in these like this convergence season early october like there's so many things going on i think like the twins are taking a bit of the pressure off of these football teams right now, but uh, those guys are interesting as well. Everything will shake itself out. Uh, Reed Chip stuff, of course, he'll be at, uh, he'll be at, uh, he was at game two. He'll be re- writing a lot of good twin stuff and other stuff as the week goes on. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks brother. Good stuff from Chip. Love Chip. He uh, he did that interview on uh, on Wednesday from the parking ramp at Target Field. He loves to get to games early. He was there before any of the pregame access even started, and he was there late writing a column on Carlos Correa. You should go read that about Carlos Correa and how he showed he was worth every penny so far in this postseason. So go check that out. Um, everybody's been busy right now. Everybody's been doing some great work, so go check that out. Final word on the Vikings. 
I keep coming back to this. The Vikings are second in the NFL, second highest turnover rate in the NFL, 23%. They're third in yards per play in the NFL offensively. They didn't run a ton of plays against uh, Carolina because of some of those turnovers, because of long drives, because of a defensive touchdown they scored that put their, you know, put their defense right back on the field. Um, so it's it's kind of a you know kind of a a mix and match here good news bad news but if we keep saying this if and they haven't solved it yet if they can ever solve their turnover problem it still does feel like this is an offense with room to be a you know a big time factor in this league so if they can put that together against the chiefs who are not playing their best um, this is a winnable game. It's not a game they're favored in. They're underdogs, but this is a winnable game that will probably tell you a lot about where their season is headed. I don't think we learn much against Carolina. We will learn a lot against Kansas City. That will do it for me. Like I said, plenty of twin stuff coming up on Friday show, then tons of stuff off the weekend. Still trying to decide if I'm going to do extra episodes from those games in Houston or how we're going to sort that out. Probably we'll do at least one um, and maybe let the maybe let the Monday show ride with Royce and talk tons of uh, talk tons of twins on that show from what happened in Houston. We'll see, we'll see. Still sorting it out. Some of it will depend on what the schedule looks like, when those games are, and uh, and and things like that. So thank you for joining me today. Hope you've enjoyed all the stuff this week. Go back and listen to that special edition from Wednesday night off of Game Two. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again on Friday.